You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, David. Um, here, coming from high atop the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, I've got a full Dr. Pepper. I'm ready to go. Uh, Richard is uh, down at Amelia. Uh, hobnobbing with all the really nice, nice cars. I, I, I've been going there actually for about the past 11 years, but then Richard told me he was going, so I decided to stay home. Richard, you down there? I'm down here. You know, too bad you didn't come. I was going to show you how to hotwire a uh, Bentley, but, uh, you know, okay. You want to stay in Virginia? Go ahead. I mean, it's going to be 80 degrees today. Tons of beautiful cars on the field, and, uh, it's going to be a blast. Too bad you're not here. Yeah, oh, man. Well, you know, we could have hot wired. There's a '50s era Bentley Fastback out there for sale. Um, thinking at the Gooding auction, if I'm not mistaken, maybe RM. I won't slight anybody, but uh, yeah, you can hot wire that and drive it back to me. I'll give you. I'll cover your gas money, and that's saying something these days. Will Will you take me to Waffle House too? I'll buy you two waffles and scattered, <laughs> smothered, covered in chunk. Yeah, there's some incredible cars there today. I, I, you know, as soon as I get off the phone and going to head over to the uh, cars and uh, coffee or caffeine, whatever they call it today, and and look around and find some, uh, you know, potential features for, you know, Crankshaft Magazine. So it's going to be a blast. We're going to have a good time. Too bad you're not here. No, I'm telling you. Well, uh, I'll miss it. You know, I miss I'll, I'll miss you, but I'll 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 miss miss your wife as well. She, she's she's the nice one of the two of you. <laughs> the, uh, so, speaking of concours, I can't stop uh, talking about it without putting in a quick plug for uh, the Greenbrier Concourse. And uh, Richard and I will both be there, so look out. Uh, the Greenbrier Concourse uh, is going to be the first weekend in May. And it's over in a little old town called White Sulphur Springs, but it is at America's Resort, the Greenbrier Hotel. And if you've never been there, this place is absolutely amazing. And most people may or may not know that uh, originally that was where they were going to keep the government in the uh, event of a nuclear attack. Uh, I hate to even think about that these days with everything going on, but the bunker up at the Greenbrier. If you get up there, you go by, see the concourse cars, uh, go on a tour and see the bunker. See where they were going to put Congress and the President and everyone else. Leave the rest of us non-essential folks out to uh, glow in the dark um, in the event of nuclear war. But uh, it's a what's, great what's, show. What's even more amazing, what's even more amazing, though, the Greenbrier, is that it was decorated by noted decorator, interior decorator, Dorothy Draper. And it's yes. flowery, crazy, flowery, prints, brightly colored, all over the place. I mean, you have to wear sunglasses when you're walking inside. It's that crazy. But uh, the selection of cars is fabulous. You know, it, it's not a huge show, which is great because you really spend a lot of time, you know, looking at the cars. But, you know, there's still, you know, a 100 spectacular automobiles in, in front of the uh the hotel, so come on down, or come on up, yeah. depending on where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I remember last year <laughs> you were you were a little late. Uh, 
<laughs> but it, it's a great, it's a, it's a great show, and I've I've had the privilege to be involved with that since its inception. And I will tell you, the best thing about the Greenbrier, sincerely, is the staff there. They are amazing. They're the nicest people. Most of whom have worked there. For, their families have worked there for multiple generations. It, it's just cool. It's just cool. So hope you'll come out to the Greenbrier Concourse first weekend in May. Um, so, moving right along, what do you think, Richard? It's it's car season, or at least it's almost car season. I know down here, over in Roanoke, uh, Virginia, they're getting ready to have the muscular dystrophy car show, which is sort of our kickoff uh, out in these part of the woods. Uh, people come out of their thickets to uh, go to the car shows, <laughs> which means we'll be pulling the cars out. Yep, I mean, you know, there's, you know, especially in the north, the cars have been hibernating for months. So, you know, you got to do a little preparation, make sure that that battery is charged up, you know, uh, clean the plugs, uh, change the oil, because over the wintertime, especially up north, the moisture gets in and condensation in the engine and it drips into the oil pan. And the last thing you want is, you know, water getting onto the bearings and stuff. So, you know, change the oil. If the air filter is uh, dirty, change that too. But, uh, you know, uh, most importantly, make sure that the brake reservoir is topped up and there's no leaks. And check those tires and, you know, adjust the air pressure. Make sure everything's okay. And uh, you'll be ready to hit the road as soon as uh, things warm up. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that never ceases to amaze me. Um, the first show of the season, a lot of people have had the cars up for four, five, six months in some cases, depending on upon where you're living at. The t- tires are a big must. Uh, you need to bring them up and then check them for dry rot, have a good look, make sure they're in good condition. Um, the one thing that's always forgotten, and uh, particularly on, on vintage cars, uh, with uh, radials, particularly, not so much the cars that use the inner tubes, the fifties uh, and earlier cars. Although a lot of people run radials on, and we won't get into that in this show, but run radials on earlier cars too. And there's always been some discussion about whether or not the sidewall pressures on the radials affect the uh, the rims, whether or not it causes a problem. But we'll get past that for now. But valve stems. Valve stems are often overlooked. Everybody checks the tires, so on and so forth. But take those valve stems and push them hard to the left and hard to the right while there's while the car's still in your garage. If it breaks off, you're at home. Pull it off, take it to the st- service station, and get a new valve stem put in. But they're often overlooked. You brought up fluids, uh, brake fluid particularly. Get under the car before you've disturbed anything or before you've moved anything. Slide up under the car with a good, strong flashlight. These days, we've got all these LED flashlights that just will blow your mind. Get under there, shine the light at each of the four wheels, and look for damp spots at the very bottom of the drum on the inside or on the tire, because that's where you're going to actually see the brake fluid leaking down 
from sitting over. If you've got that type of a situation, you know you don't want to take the car out and, and drive it without having it serviced and doing it yourself, having somebody else do it. The other thing I do is particularly, you know, you think about it, of course, I like to say American Motors was the first to offer a standard dual uh, master cylinder. But particularly those of you who have a single master cylinder, you know, and then on the earlier cars with uh, hydraulics, the master cylinder was actually even up under the floorboard. You know, you had a little inspection plate that you pulled out on the hump. But take and check that and then get in the car Give the pedal a good shove, let it go, then take and push it one more time really hard like you're making an emergency stop, hold it there for probably four to five seconds at least, and if the pedal stays steady, you're probably okay as long as you haven't seen any other leaks and your fluid level hasn't dropped down substantially. From there, I take them out, take it out, and go for a little test drive, preferably close to home. Once you've driven you know, in a you few gotta miles... You know you got to check, too? Before you that? go for that test drive... The driver? Before you go for that test drive, check your brake lights. Check your turn signals, your headlights. You know, and if they're not working, you know, go to the fuse box. You know, maybe there's some uh, corrosion happening over the winter on the fuses and maybe clean them with some emery cloth. You got to make sure all those turn signals and brake lights work too. You don't want to get a ticket as soon as you go on to that, uh, you know, test drive. So uh, you know, I, yeah. I I forgot about that. I've only got one well, British car, so I've only got one <laughs> British car. I've only got one British car, and that's why I keep forgetting about that. You know, you put those up for a couple of months, and you know, nothing in the electrical system works. I'm just kidding, but. Uh, you're ab- absolutely right. Uh, you don't want to don't want to have an issue when you're out doing your test drive. But the big issue every year is, you know, if your brakes start to drag, you end up with a little gunk in the wheel cylinders, particularly in the rear. Uh, brakes will start dragging. Your shoe will drag on the inside of the drum. It starts to create heat. Drive the car a little bit, and then go around with your hand and check the heat. You know, try not to burn yourself, okay? But touch touch the rim if you can, just to make sure that everything's good and not hot. If it's really hot to the touch, then you've got another problem, a sticking wheel cylinder or something like that. But every year, every year, one of the main causes of fires that I've seen burn cars all the way down to the frame comes from brake failure in the rear where the drums have gotten so hot, red hot, that that it catches the grease on fire. And then once you get things that hot, then the gas tank goes. Then by that time, there's no stopping it. And I, I can't tell you how many cars on tours over the years, and every year there's three or four at least that I see out on social media that have burned all the way down to the ground. So Now, speaking of, speaking of heat, speaking of heat, Check the radiator before you go anywhere, before you go on that test drive. Make sure that the water is topped up with the correct, you know, antifreeze and all that stuff. So last thing you want to do is boil over down the road, you know. So, uh, yeah, True. maybe put a little put a little punch list together, you know, and, and check things off. 
So uh, that's a good idea. Now, one one more quickie, and I forgot about it because I have all my batteries on a tender. But when you the, one of the first things you should do before you do anything at all, I guess you could do your inspection, but before you start the car, charge your battery up. If you don't have the battery on a good charge and it's gone all the way down and it's down about 75% and you go to start it, your charging system is going to work overtime to bring it back up to charge. And that is the time period where you're going to have the most issues created with your charging system, right during that heavy charge. So that way, it's, it's never a good idea to take a charge, take a battery that's fairly low and then expect your car to bring it all the way back up to full charge. It's a whole lot easier on the system if you use a battery charger to get it up there. I agree. Yep. Yep. Preventive maintenance is, is worth it. Yep. And, uh, you know, of course, all of us recommend that you use a good fuel stabilizer. There are a lot of them out there. Uh, Stabil has one. Bell has one. Uh, I use uh, Startron enzymatic fuel stabilizer. It's uh, in the blue bottle. I use the Marine version. It uh, does a wonderful job. I've had it in gasoline that's lasted, well, it's, it's been good up to at least 18 months. So I've been really pleased with that product. Gentlemen, you must not have... I don't use any. Gentlemen, we've got to take our first break. Uh, Somebody didn't bring their watch to the show. But anyway, we'll be back with the Classic Car Show starring Richard Lenintello from Florida and Tom Cox (laughs) from the back hills of Virginia. And... uh, this will give you an opportunity, uh, Tom, to do a little sipping while we're while we're at break. We'll be back right sipping, after this. Yeah. You love classic <laughs> special interest cars. If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio, or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall, and we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. And I hope you've got your uh, paper and pencil handy and want to remind everybody that the Classic Car Show for 16 years now has been brought to you by J.C. Taylor Insurance. Their telephone number is 1-888-ANTIQUE. And just uh, call them. You need a quote, whether it's a classic car or muscle car, whatever. 
they're the greatest folks to work with, and you can't imagine how they will treat you. It will be wonderful. It's uh, They're very fast on getting back to you, and if you've got a claim, they're very fast on that, too, as our one of our hosts uh, would attest to. And um, they are Classic Car show has been brought to you by J.C. Taylor for 16 years. And J.C. Taylor has been serving the classic car hobby and industry for six decades. So they know what they're doing, and they are the best. So, with that being said, and that's now, my feeling. to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Okay, guys, it's yours. Pulling them out of hibernation. Go for it. You know, we mentioned about, you mentioned about uh, a fuel stabilizer, and I I never use it at all. So I guess that explains why my cars never start come spring. (laughs) 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 Maybe I'll give it a try and and spend the five bucks. (laughs) You know, uh, good cars are cheap. Cheap owners, not so much. <laughs> not so good. Cheap owners are like cheap tools. No good. <laughs> no good. <laughs> cheap, cheap tools, bad. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the the nice thing about it, and I, who knows what's going to happen moving forward, I'm lucky enough that I can go to the local Murphy Gas at the Walmart and get an ethanol-free gas. And Whoa, having nice. ethanol free gas is just amazing. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not a chainsaw show or a weed eater show here, but I can tell you there's a huge difference when I use non ethanol fuel and, and all of those uh, lawn and garden engines because they don't gunk up in six months' time. Man, they always just go out and start first or second pull. God, I, I forgot what it was like to have non ethanol fuel until that was available. Uh, of course, now it's probably going to be $10 a gallon by next show, but still. Yeah, I, I got to get some. I got to find a place in Knoxville that sells it. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. yeah. So, moving right along, there are a number of things that we collect. You know, car collectors typically, we're just collectors, we collect lots of different stuff. And my wife says one of the th- it's where hoard is. Yeah, I mean we could be right. The non-collectors call us hoarders, and we're not. We're preservationists. I we're like preserve, that. We're preserve, yeah, we're preserving stuff for future generations. That's what we're doing. We're not hoarders. That's awful. I, I, I feel better already. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to give myself a gold star. The other thing I tell people, not to get off topic, but the other thing I tell people is, is you know, car collectors are very, very, very green too. You know, with the with the green movement going on and everything, you know, is based on a carbon footprint. If you restore a car that's already manufactured, you know, the the largest part of the carbon footprint comes during the manufacturing process, not during the lifetime of the vehicle. So if you're restoring that vehicle, it's uh, environmentally friendly. And that ought to make you feel good, eh? Yeah, it makes me feel good. That's why I'm painting my car green, to celebrate. (laughs) 
See? There you go. See? Aston and Green. What a color. But uh, you're right. Uh, Old cars, you know, uh, they they don't pollute as bad as people think they do because they're always kept in fine-tune. They're always kept in top shape. And they're not driven as much. I mean, the average old car owner drives his car barely 500 miles a year when you think about it. So uh, we're really not... uh, polluting the air. We're just beautifying the landscape with these lovely old cars. That's what we're doing. We're beautifying the roads of America. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Less than 2% of total annual miles driven in the country by the entire fleet, whether it's trucks, cars, buses, whatever, but less than 2% is driven by vehicles 25 years and older. So those people who look and scowl at your antique car and tell you you're a gross polluter, thumb your nose at them because you're not. <laughs> so That's right. Yep, I agree. They're clueless. Uh, what they are. We got off topic. I'm shocked. So, <laughs> we were talking about collecting, and now we, then we got into environmentalism. I don't know how we, how we managed to do that, but... Um, Going back to collecting, and ho- I remember Richard made us all feel better by explaining that we're just preservationists. We're not hoarders. So, no, and you know what? Of- we are cleaning up the environment because we're preventing all this old stuff from going to the landfill. Right? Oh, my God. It so, just keeps getting better. Isn't that great? I mean, we're preservationists. We're conservationists because we don't want the landfills filled with old signs and old car parts and old toys. That's awful. So we got to collect them. You know, take out your wife's uh, china from the china cabinet. Just fill it with old car models and all the good stuff when she's at work. Because she comes home and she'll be surprised and she'll say, "Oh my God, that is a fantastic thing. I should have thought of that." <laughs> I have a uh, an acquaintance here in Virginia who restored over a peer, long period of years a Chrysler a Chrysler Imperial full classic from the 30s over a period of years uh, did most of the work himself and when I was talking to his wife about the car she said guys I'm so glad it's finished I'm like oh you enjoy riding in it and enjoy going places with it and just like seeing it she's like no he got all that stuff out of my dining room. <laughs> the fenders, <laughs> rims. <laughs> well, where else are you going to keep them? You put them on the wall as a metal sculpture. Mm-hmm. It's like being at the Whitney. <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, I, I have to say, you know, a lot of us have uh, significant others who put up with a lot. But uh, now that we can all tell them that we're conservationists and preservationists and such, I, I think it's going to make our burden a little less. Um, but going back to memorabilia. So in recent years, you, know, you go back 30, 40 years ago, and you could buy signs left and right, whether they were double-sided porcelain, single-sided porcelain, painted, you name it, you could get Car signs, gasoline, petroleum signs, all of those. And you could buy them for what, by today's standards, is a fairly reasonable price. Um, I, I remember the big round Rambler sales and service signs. You used to be able to buy those for 
couple hundred bucks, 200, 250. I used to see them everywhere. And now, those are going for like $1,500, $2,000. So a lot of people are feeling like, God, I, I can't afford to get into any of that. I'll tell you, a lot of that stuff, occasionally, if you just keep looking, you'll stumble across a deal somewhere at an antique store or a flea market or a yard sale there's a bargain to be had because I've actually found them myself yeah antique stores are a great source to find automobile stuff great source good idea it's a great thing to do in the winter what about those old barns near you you know, you're driving oh. along a back road and you see old signs, you know, on old barns and stuff. Maybe stop by and uh, ring the bell of, of, of the house and maybe they'll be willing to sell you the sign if you don't get shot at, you know? I was going to say, are they going to show you a double-barrel shotgun? <laughs> <laughs> you know. But how many times are, you know, how many times are you on the, like, Pennsylvania Turnpike and you're going past these old barns and you see signs, you know? Even if it's a Coca-Cola sign or, you know, things like that. You just, you know, old signs are cool. That's Americana at its best. And I was in an antique store a few weeks ago in Clinton, Tennessee, outside of Knoxville. They had all these old great signs. And, you know, there was only one automobile sign. You know, I, I think it was a Chevy sign, but, you know, bread, uh, farming signs, which are way cool. So, uh, yeah, you got to keep your eyes open. Search, search, search. Never stop. No, and, and peruse the auctions online and elsewhere. There's a lot of opportunities. So I, I, I know it's going to shock you and shock everyone else, but, you know, I, I, I'm not mentioning the Hudson Motor Car Company in this uh, this uh, particular episode. Ooh. But wow. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a first. Did I say it? I did. I did say it. But I also collect Nash memorabilia, and I, I have Nash cars, too. I have a 48 Nash Ambassador, and I just absolutely love that car. It's a great car. But I, I really started you know, with the whole AMC, Nash Hudson thing when I was younger, a kid, and I just started collecting Nash memorabilia. And not long ago, I noticed an auction listing for a Nash painting, advertising, advertisement. It wasn't even characterized as a painting. It was characterized as an advertisement, framed. And it was at an auction, and I thought, well, gosh, that, that's going to go pretty, pretty steep. And it it's about 36 by 24. It's a pretty good size piece. And so I, I bid on it, and I put in what I thought was a reasonable bid for it. I figured it's probably going to go for five hundred bucks somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe I ended up getting it for less than two hundred dollars, and I went to go pick it up. And it just so happens, the guy was going to be at Hershey, and I was going to be at Hershey three weeks later. So we met up at Hershey. He handed it over to me, and I looked at it, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is great! I'm excited." It was an original artist rendering by an artist by the name of Howard Scott, who was really second only to Norman Rockwell in terms of the great uh, 
artists of the time, the illustrators of the time. And he did a lot of Ford, you know, the, uh, you know, you, there's a Ford in your future and it shows the, yeah. uh, uh, crystal ball and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. he did very, very similar stuff with people in it, but I, this was the actual artwork that he painted, which then became a billboard. I've never had it appraised. Yeah, I've never had it appraised, but I I know that I scored. I did a heck. It it was great. You did beyond scoring. You ripped that guy off. That's what you did. Hey, 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 hey! Hey, he won't be giving away at that price. (laughs) You know, maybe maybe you you need to send him a check to make me feel better. I hope it's hanging in your living room. Oh, it is. It's hanging in the living room for sure. Beautiful. And uh, Beautiful. under twenty-four hour surveillance. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, can't tell you. But those those things happen. And so you know, don't despair just simply because you think that you know, gosh, they're so expensive, I can't afford it. Just keep looking because you, you'd be amazed at what you what you look into um, and find. It's like Richard, I, I know he know. hasn't paid more than a couple bucks for his memorabilia because he's so cheap. Oh no, I, I got a cap of three dollars. That's it. No way. Three bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, ashtrays. I find automotive ashtrays in antique stores and glasses, and you know all kinds of stuff. You just never know. And uh, even some like you know, you go to Salvation Army or Goodwill, you'd be surprised what people bring in, and, and you could score for a buck. You know, a coffee mug with a Ford emblem on it from, you know, 30 years ago. I got that for a buck. A Volvo glass I got at a garage sale for 50 cents. Uh, yeah, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money for automobilia. You really don't. Because I don't. <laughs> no, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> Gentlemen, we have to... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. To- We're going to have to let people think about that and think about which... Uh, antique store they're going to and we'll be right back with Tom and Jerry oh no I'm sorry Tom and Richard and uh, (laughs) anyway we'll be right back after this it's a museum it's a showroom it's an experience Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. All Thank right. you, David. Talking about automobilia, right? Automobilia yep. and signs. Signs. I was in a, uh, I was in a bookstore in Burlington, Vermont, about twenty years ago, and the guy goes, "What are you looking for?" I said, "Anything relating to old cars." And he goes, "You know, I got this old sign sitting in the back for years." He goes, "You be interested in it?" I said, "Well, you know, it depends what it is." He takes it out. It's a three foot long oilsum sign in the original box. Still wrapped in the wax paper, never touched, never hung on the wall. And I go, how much you want for this? He goes, uh, sixty dollars. Man, I ran down <laughs> the block to that ATM so fast. <laughs> I wore my shoes out, and uh, you just never know. You know, even in a bookstore, you could find stuff. So uh, yeah, spread the you word. You gotta Let ask. Know what you're looking for. You, you gotta if ask. Let people know what you're looking for. If you don't ask, you're not going to find. Yeah, that's a heck right. of a deal. And the, the oils and signs are really popular. Uh, you know, they had that, uh, you know, little guy on there with his driving cap on and, you know, goggles in some of them. But uh, a really popular item, oils and uh, memorabilia. Uh, but another cool thing that you can collect that's not going to break the bank, Wheaties, during the early 50s, as a uh, prize, it wasn't like the uh, Cracker Jack where you know, you'd get a little prize in the Cracker Jack or whatever. It was a similar thing. But you would get a little automobile badge, a little tin round metal badge with the manufacturer's logo on it. And they had Nash, Hudson, Ford, DeSoto, Chevrolet, uh, so on and so forth. I forget exactly how many they had if you collected all of them. Um, but there's quite a few, probably at least tw- a dozen or more. And they're fairly cheap. Huh? You can find them on eBay. You can find them in antique stores. And they're usually 15 bucks or less a piece. A friend of well, mine, uh, Rob Shingle, has a... Recently, he decided to go out and get the full collection of those, and it took, it was fun for him. Cheap automobilia is good. Remember that. Cheap automobilia is good. <laughs> and it's speaking true. of cheap automobilia, you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars. You know what else I collect besides automotive ashtrays? I collect uh, yardsticks, rulers. You know, I have several with Pontiacs on them uh, back Dating back to the you know fifties, forties, even the thirties, they it was a promotional tool. You know, you went to the dealers and they gave you a yardstick and it had their uh, name on it, their dealership name, and it had the logo of the car brand that they were selling. And you could pick these up fairly. You know, oh man, I don't think I pay more than ten bucks for any of my yardsticks. So uh, that that's another thing, and they don't take up a lot of space. You know, that's that that's another thing because sometimes you know. Big pieces of automobilia could take up a lot of room, but yardsticks, uh, you know, you just lay them down on your shelf or you just, you know, hang them from, from the uh, hole. And, uh, yeah, they're just pretty cool, and uh, that's another thing to consider. Ten whole bucks. Wow, you're, yeah. you're really moving Ten up. whole bucks. I know. Yeah. I mean, it it kind of killed me to do that, but, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it was a perfect yardstick. So uh, I just had to have it. Got to make sure the you know next what? guy doesn't get it. 
<laughs> I found one that was really, really, really pretty cool, and you wouldn't have thought I'd find it out in the hills of Virginia, but walked into an antique store, and I was rustling through a little can full of yardsticks, and I pulled one out, and it was stamped with the American Motors engine plant, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Now, how crazy is wow. that? They couldn't have put that That's many cool. of those out there. And it made its way, migrated all the way to the mountains of southwest Virginia. And, of course, I snagged it up, and I've, that's in the collection now, too. But there's a, a lot of neat stuff. Uh, factory promo cars, uh, all the manufacturers uh, dating back, gosh, in, into the 30s and some of them before, uh, had promotional models uh, that they would give away to generate interest. And... Some of those are really amazing. Um, you've got some more pedestrian ones, and they generally change hands for between forty and seventy-five bucks. Um, you know, I have sixty Pontiac was one always one of my favorites. I've got a couple of sixty Pontiac uh, promo models. They were made by Hubley, which also made uh, models, the steel models that you could actually you know build at home and you know file the edges and all that jazz. But um, really, really cool and, and fun stuff. So I mean, there's a lot of lot of things out there. You know, gas pumps, gas signs, oil cans. A lot of people collect oil cans. Now, you know, you can start an oil can collection fairly inexpensively. But some of those cans, they can go for thousands of dollars. But you know, can still do your own for less. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. But there are some hardcore oil can collectors out there. So there's somebody for everything. And, and, uh, and that brings. And you know, go ahead. it doesn't have to be old to be automobile. I collect uh, Lionel and MTH trains. And, and they, every year, both companies introduce transporters. And in the last, you know, 10 years or so, they've had transporters with. Cobras, Torinos, GTOs, Camaros, T-Birds. And uh, it's nice putting those up on the shelf. And, you know, you have, if you like trains, and uh, I'm a big train nut, and I know you are too, Tom, uh, you yes. get these transporter, and, and they, you know, they're brand new. So uh, it doesn't have to be old to be collectible. It really doesn't. Anything auto-related is, is, is just good to have. No, you're right about that. And, you know, when I was talking earlier about the, you know, high cost of authentic porcelain double-sided signs or single-sided porcelain signs, there are, and I, I, in terms of signs, I think it's just perfectly fine because they're going to look great in your garage. There are a lot of manufacturers out there now that do exceptional reproductions of original signs, and they're sold as reproductions, but you do have to be careful that you don't end up buying a reproduction and paying original price for it, you know, for an original one. But, I, you know, I've got a few that I really love the graphics of so much that I actually bought the reproduction because I really couldn't find the original anyway. And if I did, it was several thousand dollars, and I could probably spend that on Hudson parts. Oh, did I say Hudson again? Hang on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, repro signs are okay. You know, I bought a few of them at Hershey. But, you know, it's another thing that uh, looks nice on the wall is... Automotive car grills. 
you know. There has been some beautiful grills through the years, you know, whether it's starting out from a Model A grill or, you know, I have an Austin Healy grill on my wall and a Triumph grill, of course. Uh, Austin America, I found that for five bucks at a yard sale in Vermont, and it's perfect. Five bucks? But, uh, grills, yeah, they're like, it, it, it's metal sculpture. It, they're works of art. I mean, imagine putting a beautiful 38 Buick grill on your wall. I mean, wow. I, you put a spotlight on it, close the lights in the house, and just stare at it. You feel like you're in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You know, it's beautiful. Beautiful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Conservationists, preservationists, <laughs> not yes. orders. Okay, you know, orders bad. Conservationists good. Um, We're preventing the landfills from filling up. Yes, that's exactly right. Doing our doing our duty. Uh, so that brings me around to our pick of the week, and this week's pick of the week. 1976 Cadillac Sedan DeVille, only 16,695 miles. And as the guys on all these auction shows would say, it's a survivor. Um, only 16,695 miles. And I really believe that to be true. I've not seen it in person, but I've looked very closely at the photographs. And the one thing you'll know about 19... 70, really the 71 all the way up to 76, caddies, the steering wheels, they did not do well. Um, the thermoplastic on it, the heating, the cooling, the yes. crack in the middle and, and come all apart. The steering wheel on this car is absolutely pristine and you know that it was well kept inside garage probably all of its life just by looking at that steering wheel. You know, buying cars is a, a there's a, a science to it and a little bit of archaeology involved, too, because, you know, you take a car like that that's a low mileage, you know, 17,000 mile, you might as well say car. You know, you, you look at the steering wheel. This is pristine. It, it looks great. You look at the brake pedal. Brake pedal looks great. You look at the driver's side seat upholstery. This looks absolutely mint. The armrest. Armrest isn't cracked, worn, dirty, looks good. Uh, the heel pad, you know, where you put your foot on the accelerator, those are areas that you can really, you know, look at and discern whether or not you think that the odometer on that car is flipped. But this thing looks great. Um, red with red white interior. Drum roll, 7500 bucks asking price 7500 bucks for wow. the last for a good low mileage example of the last of the really big Cadillac land yachts 76 uh, that body style ran from 71 to 76 and uh, the 76 great was the last year They're great, great cause my father had a 76 <laughs> Cadillac well of course his name was Sal Lintanello so he had to have a Cadillac <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, all our everybody, everybody in Brooklyn had a Cadillac and a cigar in Brooklyn. Everybody, Cadillac and cigar. <laughs> that that showed that you made it. You know, you made it up in the world. You got a caddy, and uh, that thing was fantastic. I mean, uh, it was so comfortable to drive, and in the potholes of New York City, you never even felt them. I mean, uh, 
just so comfortable. I mean, now with gas the way it is, you know, they don't get great gas mileage, you know, maybe 15, 16 miles a gallon. But, you know, you're not driving it that far. You're not driving it that often. But uh, the best thing about those cars, man, they ride like a Cadillac. <laughs> they really do. They're so comfortable. No, it's like like right, driving around in in your living room. Really, I mean the seats are are fabulous. I have a seventy two Coupe Deville, uh, part of that body series, and they're just great cars, and they're great road cars too. Gosh, there's few cars that are better on the road. I mean, gosh, and you can throw so much in the car. I mean, think about all those signs and memorabilia and everything that you can load in the trunk. When you're out on the road, it's, it's, it's great. It's almost like having a pickup truck. Uh, although I suspect up in Brooklyn, uh, instead of memorabilia, a lot of people were throwing bodies in those trunks, but you know, they probably hold yeah. three or four. I heard that rumor. I heard that yeah. rumor once or twice. It's a <laughs> terrible, terrible rumor, terrible rumor. Stereotyping of, of people from Brooklyn. Um, the engine in that car, in the 76 was uh, 500 cubic inches and that was an um, huge huge Big engine, engine. Uh, a lot of torque. it originally oh a lot of torque okay uh, guys we got to jump in and uh, remind everybody that this show is brought to you by JC Taylor Insurance They've been in business for over 75 years and serving the classic car, the muscle cars, and they have a great, great product called Agreed Value. You agree what your car is worth before you ever sign up with them, and, you know, they'll go in. They have the best people in the world. Uh, Anybody on the other end of this uh, line uh, agree with me? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and you don't have to have a car that is running to get insurance. You know, even if your car is just stored in a garage and it, it, it's a parts car, you still want to insure it in case there's a fire in your garage. So, uh, or a hurricane. Safe. Uh, I know I've lived through uh, a number of hurricanes with uh, Bob Wallace, and uh, they take care of their insured. And that's sort of an understatement. We're going to run an ad for a little magazine, and we'll be back with more of the Tom and Richard show. Lentinello is ready to go. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Take it away, Tom. We're back. 
so, you know, it has the 500 cubic inch engine, and I, I always get a little off to the side on the subject matter, but the, the engines are always a big deal for me. So the original Cadillac V8 overhead valve came out in 49, and they really, you know, there were several iterations and some changes and some casting changes, but more or less the original blueprint of that original 49 V8 ran all the way through to uh, 67, and in various iterations, the 331, the 390, and then the last version of it, the 429. And in 68, they came out with the 472, which is an exceptionally good engine. And then in 1970, for the Eldorado, they popped that out, they stroked it a little bit, and got it to 500 cubic inches. But the interesting thing is, so think about this. 1970, the debut year of that engine, 500 cubes, it was pumping out right about 400 horses, 550 foot-pounds of torque. I mean, that would get that heavy heavy thing rolling pretty, pretty quick. And then you, through to 1975, you had the, both the 472 and the 500, the 500 uh being somewhat exclusive to the Eldorados. And then in 75, uh, you could only get the 500. And, but in 71, they dropped the compression ratio on it and they kept making changes all the way through. By the time you got to 1975, you'd gone from 400 horsepower down to 190 horsepower. Your torque had gone from 550 foot-pounds to 360 foot-pounds. Oh, those were the days, the days of the gas crisis and trying to squeeze every last drop yeah. out of a gallon of gas. Crazy. Yeah, they, they sure did. But that was also um, net rating versus in 71, it was gross rating, correct? Yes. Yeah. And, but, uh, still, yeah. They were, you know, that's when the smog started coming in and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, but still, they're great cars. They're undervalued. And, you know, you could pile in five buddies and head over to Hershey in the fall and have a big trunk to bring back all those great car parts that you find in the swap meet. So, uh, yeah, think Cadillac. Standard of the world. No. Standard of the world. Standard of the world. So, 76... Cadillac, Sedan DeVille, red, red, resale red, red interior, 17,000 miles, $7,500 asking price, up in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And that's just a heck of a car for that kind of money. And you could probably just do some maintenance on it, have have it checked over, check it over yourself, go through all the systems, the brakes and so forth, tires, check all of that, and drive coast to coast. I, those are the types of cars I absolutely have no worries about driving them anywhere whatsoever. I mean, that's the type of thing I'll, I will hop, and I have hopped in. I have a 64 uh, DeVille convertible, and I've, I've driven it all the way to upstate New York and back here to the hills of Virginia, and uh, it was a blast, a lot of fun, and they're just dependable. Good cars, good road cars. 
Yeah, you know, the bad, the bad thing about when I used to take my father's 76 Cadillac out on a Friday night, you get back at 2 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, we had no driveway in Brooklyn. We, You know, you park in the street. Sometimes because the car was so big, you couldn't find a parking space. I would drive around the block till 4 in the morning till I found a space. But uh, if you live in the city, it ain't the right car to have. But, uh, you know, out in the country and in the woods where you live, you know, plenty of room. You don't have to worry about that. We got a lot, lots, of, lots of room for Cadillacs out here you in uh, southwest, you southwest Virginia. Um, there's a couple, couple of things coming up. I know you're down there at Amelia Island, and I know you're yep. going to have a great time. And I am envious. Um, you, you t- oh, wait a minute. You know, I meant to ask you, how did the plating go? You were going to do, do some in-home plating oh. on your car. Yeah. This past week, I uh, I did some black oxide plating on about, I don't know, 400 fasteners. And uh, it came out good. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a substitute for having a professional plating shop do it because that is, you know, perfect plating. But, you know, if, if you just got some, you know, fasteners that you want to protect from rust and they need to be black oxide plated and they're going to be hidden up underneath the fender or underneath the dashboard, uh, home plating kits are fine. You know, they're perfect. And they came out really nice and then after I plated them, you you neutralize it by you dip them in water and then you put them in this uh, gel solution that is like an oil base so it protects, you know, further rusting. And, you know, they do have some blotchiness to it because it is a home plating system. But believe it or not, the, the, all the, the bolts and the washes and the clips, they look fantastic compared to what they looked at, uh, you know, a couple of weeks prior. So uh, it was definitely, you know, a fun exercise, but it was very labor-intensive. I definitely won't do it again, but they came out great. They really did. So you, you actually had to work. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, good thing I have an old restaurant rubber mat that I stand on because my back was killing me after a while. Because you, you got to keep it in the plating solution no more than five minutes. Otherwise, you know, it gets too blotchy. So you really got to sit there with a timer and do it. So, uh, you know, when you ever visit Tennessee, come on down, bring some nuts and bolts, and, uh, you know, I'll show you how it's done. <laughs> yeah, just don't keep you standing too long. At your advanced age, you know, we don't want you to have any issues, you know. Um, yeah, well, you know, yeah. when you're restoring a car, like I said, you you want the original nuts and bolts if they're in good shape because of the head markings. And that's the difference between, you know, a car that's been restored in the most authentic manner versus one that has, you know, big box store bolts made in China, which you got to avoid. So, uh, you know, just the little details that count. No, that's absolutely right. And you, you just touched on something. Not to uh, be negative regarding our, our friends, the China, the communist Chinese, uh, but, you know, a lot of the products that we get today, whether they be our household products or everyday stuff, comes from China. But a lot of reproduction stuff comes from China as well. And that really speaks to potential issues. Sometimes it's not the size. Sometimes it doesn't fit properly. Sometimes the quality of the materials is not good. Um, you know, I've 
I've bought stuff, uh, you know, wheel cylinders, and they already had rust in the bore. So you want to be careful about what you're buying in, in the way of reproductions. And, you know, that speaks to joining up with a club, getting involved with forums, getting to know other people that are, are in the process of doing the same things that you want to do, because then you can share those collective experiences um, I was getting ready to put a set of ball joints in a car, and a buddy of mine said, you know, whatever you do, don't get this brand because they're inferior quality and there have been a whole lot of issues with them. And so I was like, oh, gosh, okay, well, what else is available? And so we found something that was available from another manufacturer, reproduction, that to our knowledge, nobody had been having an issue with. Then six months later, I'm talking to another friend of mine, similar, same car, or same, not exact same car, but same same model, who had rebuilt the suspension, had 100 miles on the car, and had a major failure of a sp- suspension component, and it was from that company that I was told not to buy from. So that's another reason to join up with the club. It's the collective wisdom and experience of people out there that you're really into. You hear so many people, oh, I'm not a joiner, I'm not a joiner. Well, it's not like you're going to have to show up in a funny outfit, you know, uh, and do a floor show. Okay, gentlemen, we got to wrap it up. Wrapping it up. Well, Richard, hopefully gas prices don't go up to $8 a gallon by the time you leave. Um, my thoughts are still with our friends in the Ukraine. And thanks to all of our veterans to make sure that we can continue to be free in our country and involve ourselves in the antique car hobby because we, we love it. Thank you guys so much. All right, guys. Off to Amelia Island for the Concours. Take it easy. Have a good time. Don't get sunburned. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.